0: got two words for you grace and peace all right it's great to be together this morning i'm glad you're here at gateway most of you are members at gateway and a few visitors but i just want to remind you that our minute our our mission here at gateway is to grow closer to christ and to encourage others to grow closer to christ and that's what we hope is happening in your heart today and it's a blessing to me to be here with you guys today i i'll Maybe I don't have enough faith, you know, I, I didn't think there'd be this many of you here. I'm, I'm glad you guys came today and I'm glad we got to uh, sing together. I'm glad we have got to pray together and commune together and that we'll uh, get to look at the word together today and, and hang out together afterwards for a while and encourage one another. It's a blessing to be together. I, I, it's kind of a bummer when there's not as many people at church, but I got to tell you, I love the snow. How many of you guys love the snow? Oh man, isn't it great? Thank you God for the snow. I love it. I love it. I love to drive in it. I love to play in it. I love to clean it up a little bit. Amy's like, yeah, you don't clean it up very much, but uh, I love to ski in it. I love to see it. I, I love it. I'm thankful for that part of our uh, living in the mountains here. A couple of quick things. Wyatt mentioned our Christmas Eve service and I hope you'll be planning to come. And I just wanted to say that a couple of things. Uh, Colin Bovary right here is going to be our worship leader that night. Colin has is really an accomplished guitar player. He's he's uh, doing great. and He's going to lead our worship that night for the Christmas Eve service at five o'clock. And Kelly, uh, Kelly Spray, right there, Kelly Spray is going to help us with the kind of the play and for the kids. And there's some teens and adults involved in it. And I think you're really going to be blessed. It's called The Voices of Christmas, and I hope that you'll make that time from 5, we'll be done for sure by 6, probably a little earlier than that, before you go spend the rest of the evening with your family on Christmas Eve. Also, I visited with Tom Moore this week for a little while, and he's doing great. He wanted me to tell you guys thank you for the prayers. Tom is going to be moved into an assisted living there in El Paso soon. He's walking on his own now. And then, uh, after a little while of being there, he has decided that he's going to move to—I believe it's Virginia—to be in an assisted living in Virginia. He'll just be about 30 minutes from his son and his granddaughter, and he's really excited about that. And so uh, we'll miss Tom, but uh, I think he's probably making a great decision for his life. And he just—he said this. He said, "Would you please tell the Gateway family if anybody is coming to El Paso to visit me, please bring communion." So he's missing what we oftentimes, I'm not saying we always do, but oftentimes we can take that for granted. Oh, well, it's communion again, every week, you know, we take. And he's saying, man, I want to share the body and the blood of Jesus with one of my brothers or sisters in Christ or, or several. So if you're going to El Paso and you want to stop in to see Tom Moore, you be sure and bring crackers and wine or grape juice and, uh, and spend some time with him. We're at the end of, Oh, I got to tell you, I just, I'm glad I brought this up here. All you kids out there, look at this. What's this? It's a bowl. What does it have in it? Huh? Candy. It's got candy in it. And I want to give this to all the kids at the end of services. And the parents are like, thanks a lot, you know. So I want to give you a, a piece of candy. But here's what I want you to do. This was Kelly's idea, and maybe it was Patricia's idea, or maybe it was someone else's idea, but... Somebody came up with this. I thought it was a good idea since the kids are with us. Get your parents right now to help you get a piece of paper, and you write down on that piece of paper, Jesus, write the word Jesus, and then you write eternal life on that piece of paper. So you're going to write Jesus and eternal life, and every time you hear me say the word Jesus, you're going to make a mark next to that. Or every time you hear me say the word eternal life, you're going to make a mark next to that. And I have no idea how many times I'm going to say it. But if you bring me that piece of paper that shows me you were listening, there you go. That's bribery at its best right there, folks. Okay? So all you kiddos, get your parents to help you. We're at the end of our series on 1 John. We've gone through 10 weeks of studying this little book that that the Apostle John wrote, and we're right at the end today. And I have really been blessed by this, and I hope you have been as well. And I don't know... J.E.'s leaving, so I, I'll tell him before he leaves. I didn't get to say this because he was gone last week, but didn't Jay do a great job two weeks ago preaching? You guys let him know how much we... Awesome. In 1994, Northwest Airlines had an interesting offer that they made. It was called a mystery fare, and it cost $59 to fly somewhere. And what you did was you purchased your ticket for $59, you showed up on Friday, and on Friday afternoon or Friday evening at the correct time, and then they put you on an airplane, and you don't know where you're going until you go through the gate, and they tell you where you're going. And then you fly back on Sunday, and you spend the weekend in an undisclosed location that you don't know where it's going to be, and it's a surprise. It was a mystery fare, a cheap, cheap idea, $59, but possibly Great disappointment. I mean, what if what if you ended up what if you ended up flying to Clovis? You know, <laughs> sorry if you guys are from Clovis, but I, I mean, I mean, you know, it could be incredibly disappointing. But I, I, it's kind of a fun idea, and it's okay for a weekend. But let me tell you something. That's not an okay way to handle our eternal destination with a mystery fare. When I'm heading to the airport or going someplace out of town, I usually Call before I leave to confirm my flight, just to make sure so I don't drive to El Paso and they say, oh, you don't have a flight, or I confirm my hotel reservation so I don't show up somewhere and I don't have any place to stay. I usually make a confirmation call because I don't want to show up and get an unwelcome surprise. And here's the deal, folks God doesn't want any of us to show up on the other side when we step through that door into the unknown, and He doesn't want any of us to step across into an unwelcome. Surprise. And so he gave us this small book of 1 John to confirm our reservation. God inspired the Apostle John to write this little book to some first century Christians. These these sisters and brothers, they were doubting their eternal destination. They weren't sure. They weren't positive. They didn't know for sure what was going to happen when they stepped across. Apparently there was a group of people, and we talked about it just a little bit in this study, called Gnostics, and they had infiltrated into the church and they were convincing these people that you cannot know or the only way to know is to have some really special experience that only they could tell you. And John has spent five chapters of ink and parchment giving us evidence. Now listen to me. Giving us evidence to prove that we do have the gift of eternal life. I think it's important, again, as we finish this, to say this is not a book of a list, a checklist of things that you need to do in order to be saved. Check the box, check the box, check the box, and when you get to the bottom, you add them all up and you get paid eternal life. That is not the gospel of Jesus, and that is not what 1 John is saying, even though some people interpret it that way. This book is instead a list of evidence that you can see in your own life, and when you see it, you can be assured that your reservation is on the right flight. If you see this evidence, it's proof that something is true. It's proof that it's true that you have the gift of eternal life. And so today, we're going to look one more time at a bit more evidence that John gives us to make sure that we have the right reservation. So let's pray, and then after we pray, we'll begin to read our text. God, thank you for this morning. I'm grateful for our church family. I pray for those that weren't able to be here today, God, all the way from Tom Moore to Leela to John and Rita Kiker to Carl and Renee to those who may be physically sick today, to those who are at their house in front of the fireplace, their, their driveway was a little dangerous or or they just chose to stay. For those, God, who who are relationally or emotionally or spiritually damaged today and hurting and, and they just couldn't bring themselves to come and, and be a, around a bunch of people who say, I'm doing great, things are wonderful, and they just couldn't do it today, God. I just pray, I pray for whoever these people are that, that aren't with us today, I pray that you would bless their lives. Pray that they would know how deeply you love them. Pray that those that are members of our church family would know how missed they are and how much we love them. God, as our habit is, we want to pray for another church in our area. I want to pray for Christ Community Church over in Capitan today. I pray for Ed and Joe Beth, and I just pray, God, your blessings in their life. Thank you for just the great, great friendship and support that we have together with them as we, as we do Mountain Family Fellowship together each year and, and as Ed and Joe Beth care so much about our church family and we pray God that you would bless their ministry that they're doing in Capitan and we pray this morning that the gospel would be preached there at Christ Community. We pray that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus would be proclaimed boldly and that people's lives would be moved to be more centered on Jesus. God, today, as we study, we pray for you, Holy Spirit, to be our teacher. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. And we pray all this through the name of Jesus, our Savior. And everyone said, Amen. Our text is from 1 John, and it's at the end of 1 John. I'm going to take it in three sections today, not all at once. So here we go. We'll start out with 1 John chapter 5, verses 11, 12, and 13. And this is the testimony. God has given us. Eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Here it is. This is what we've been talking about all the whole book. Verse 13, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The testimony of John and the apostles and the Holy Spirit here in God's word is that God has given us a gift, given it to us, and the gift he's given us is eternal life. In case you missed it, in case you have this kind of thinking, in case maybe you were raised this way or you're visiting today and you think this, I want to make this crystal clear, you can not earn eternal life. That, the Bible tells us, is impossible for you to earn eternal life. You can't buy it because Jesus already paid for it. He didn't put a down payment down and then say, now I'm gonna leave the rest for Pam. She's gonna make the rest of the payments in her life. I got the down payment, she'll make the rest. I got the down payment, but I'm going to let, you know, I'm going to let Frank and Lois, they'll make the rest of the payments. Okay, here's the down payment, but let's let Bob and Barbara, they'll make the rest of the payments for their life. Jesus paid the price in full. If if you were to save up all of your good thoughts, all of your great intentions, if you were to pile up all the good deeds, all the behaviors and and the obedience that you've done in your life, if you piled it all up in hopes of paying for eternal life, it would not and it will not ever be enough. Not even close to enough. Not even the best person on the planet. It is not and will never be enough. And folks, even if it was a lot, It would be foolish for you to try and pay for something that has already been purchased. It's already been paid for. Jesus purchased it, and he paid it in full. I might have told you guys this story before. I'm not sure. Sometimes I wonder if a preacher's been at a place too long when he can't remember what stories he told. Or he's, you know start people go oh great not the wedding ring story again so let me tell you guys the wedding ring story when amy and i were uh, you know had fallen in love and decided that we were going to get married and at least i was pretty sure she had decided i was like 99 percent sure and and so i went down to uh, pick that pick out a ring gonna pop the question i didn't have enough money so i went to the bank Went in, talked to the banker. He's a friend of mine. He he was a deacon at our church and helped with youth events. We went backpacking together, rode bikes together, did all kinds of things together. And I was at their house all the time. So it was one of my good friends. And I went into the bank and I sat down and I said, I need a loan. He said, okay, what do you need a loan for? And I said, for a ring. And he goes, oh, you're finally going to, you know, finally got the courage. It's about time. You know, all of us have been wondering when you're going to wise up. So he said, okay, you know, how much do you need? And so I told him I need Oh, right. You think I'm going to tell you how much I spend? Okay. So I told him, you know, how much I need. And he said, well, I got one question for you. One question. He said, said, uh, I said, okay, what's the question? He said, are you going to pay me back? And I said, yeah, I'm going to pay you back. You know me, of course. I'm going to pay you back. And he said, okay, you can have the loan. What's that called? A trust or a signature loan, right? A signature loan. Can you get those anymore? No, those are not available. Those don't exist. Those are back in the day. So I I said, okay, well, great, thanks, and I appreciate it a lot, and I got up to leave, and he said, John, sit back down. We gotta talk. And so, you know, here I am. I'm going to buy this ring, and and he says, we gotta talk. And I thought, oh, I'm about to get some good marriage advice. You know, he's gonna tell me the secret, you know, to a long marriage or whatever. And so I sit back down, and I'm kind of sitting on the edge of my seat. What's he gonna say? And he says, now, John, you know, you know that bicycle you've been looking at down there at the bike shop? And I was like, yeah, the, the, the Paramount, yeah, the Paramount, I, the Schwinn Paramount, yeah, I, I know exactly the one with the Ultegra uh, drivetrain, yeah, and, and the, the Dura-Ace brakes, yeah, I know the exact one you're talking about, the red, white, and blue, one, yeah, I know the exact one you're talking about. And he said, okay, here's the deal, John, we're going to add money on this loan and you're going to buy that at the same time. This is what he proposed. He said, if you're gonna propose, I propose that you buy this bike at the same time. And I was like, oh, no, no, I, I, I just, that's gonna pull my budget way out there and I'm gonna be too tight and I, I, it's gonna take too long to pay back. I really don't. and So I said, I, thanks, but I don't think so. And he said, John, I'm serious. If you don't get it now, you'll never get it. <laughs> okay, so I got the ring and the bike, you know? I made the loan for both. So that really has nothing to do with my sermon, the part about the bike. But anyways, um, the part about the ring is the part that I was really trying to, to share with you guys because wouldn't it be foolish? I paid that ring off. I did exactly what I said I was gonna do. I paid it off in full. And how foolish would it be for Amy to still every month go to the bank and make a payment on her ring? How stupid would that be? They would tell her. They would say, Amy, Amy, It's already been paid for. There's no debt. The debt is canceled. It's gone. Why are you trying to pay for something that's already been paid for? Jesus did the same thing, and John is trying to tell us the same thing. It has been paid in full. So John rebinds everyone in this text, everyone who believes in the name of the Son of God, Everyone who believes in the name of the Son of God, you have eternal life. Now, I'm not talking about believe like, you know, like the demons. I mean, James makes that clear. There's a kind of belief that the demons have. What kind of belief do the demons have? They go, we think, well, we don't think. We know there's a God. Yep, there's a God, and he's scary, and we try to stay away from him. That's demon belief. That's not the kind of belief John's talking about here. He says, I'm talking to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Who believe, who depend, who embrace, who love, who press into, who yearn for and worship and obey this Jesus Christ. That's who he's talking about. You have the gift of eternal life. How many of you in here believe in the name of the Son of Jesus, Raise, the Son of God? Raise your hand and keep it up for just a second. That looks like almost everybody in here. And John says to you that have your hands up right now, you have the gift of eternal life. You can be sure of it. You have the gift of eternal life. He wants you to know this, not to wonder about it. And so he goes on. He talks more about confidence here in verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sins does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin. And there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, this text is a little confusing. But let's back up a little bit and let's at least say these two things. John is telling us one thing that we know and telling us one thing that knowledge should lead us to do. The one thing he says we know is this, God answers prayers according to his will. God answers prayers according to his will. And number two, that knowledge should lead us to pray for other people, at least some other people. We'll get to that in a minute. People say often, I want to pray for God's will. I want to know what Jesus wants me to do. Somebody says, I'm not sure which house to buy. I can't decide whether to buy house A or house B. And I have to pray and find out what God's will is. Is it house A or is it house B? Which one am I supposed to buy? Well, I can't really help people with that too much. Because the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about which house to buy. The Bible does say some things about God's will. God's will is for you to be content. So pray for God's will. Pray that whether you're in house A or you're in house B or you're in neither one of those houses or you don't have a home, that you will be content because that's God's will, that you be content. God's will is this, for you to share what you have. So pray that you'll have wisdom to purchase a home that will leave you enough to still share. God's will, we know, is for you to be hospitable. That's God's will. That's a command. Be hospitable. So pray. Pray for God's will. Pray that he will help you find a home, wherever it is, And that you'll have the willingness to invite people in and show them the love of God. Some people ask, I'm not sure who to marry. I I don't know whether I should marry for love or money. I'm not sure. The older I get, the better question that becomes. (laughs) I don't know if I ought to, you know, I, I don't know which one. What's God's will? And here's the deal God doesn't say a whole lot about that. We could make some implications, but God does say this His will is that you should not be unequally yoked with someone in a yoke like two oxen locked together. Well, marriage is a pretty secure lock that locks you together, and He says, don't be unequally yoked. So pray for God's will. Pray that God will help you find a Christian mate. They have money, all the better you're in love with each other, even better. But pray for God's will. Pray that you find a Christian mate. We know that God's will is that we keep our vows in marriage. So pray. Pray that God will help you find a person who has his character, God's character, someone who will keep their vows. Pray for that and that will help you keep your vows. We know this stuff about houses and marriage because of God's word. Because God told us in the Bible. We know over in 2 Peter and 1 Timothy, we know these two things about God's will. It's God's will that none should perish. And it's God's will that all would be saved. Those two verses in 2 Peter and 1 Timothy tell us that's God's will. So it's pretty easy to pray for God's will about this. Let me ask you this question. How many of you, how many of you in here, I want you to raise your hand if you know personally someone who is not a follower of Jesus. Raise your hand if you know someone who is not a follower of Jesus. A lot of you do, some of you don't, and if you don't, you need to get out more, okay? You need to get out of this church building, you need to get out of your house, you need to get away from all the little Christian bubble you're in, and you need to find some people who are not following Jesus. That's important. We're the light in the darkness. Okay, So almost all of you said, yep, I know someone personally who is not following Jesus. Well, you know what we can do? We can pray for God's will. We can pray for that person to become a follower of Jesus because that's God's will. Now, what is this sin that leads to death that John is talking about? What a strange thing that he says here. He says, I don't want you to pray for that person who's committing the sin that leads to death. Well, I'm going to do these very quickly. We could spend like a whole sermon or a whole series of sermons on this, but I'm going to do it very quickly. I'm going to give you four very quick possibilities of how people interpret the sin that leads to death. Okay, so here they are, four things, four ways it's interpreted. Some people interpret it this way. They say the sin that leads to death is something horrible. It is something heinous. It is something that you, you just almost can't imagine, and when you do, you want to stop imagining it because it is so awful that person is doing this horrible, horrible sin. It is unlikely that's what John is talking about because the Bible's full of people who did those things. And God loved those people, He forgave those people, He redeemed their lives, He, he turned their life into new life. That's the business that God is in. But there are some churches, there are some churches that treat people this way when they commit the big ones. I'll let you fill in the blanks with the big ones. Whatever the big ones are, some churches are like, ooh, no way. We're going to avoid that person now. We're not going to be around that person anymore. And i got to tell you here at Gateway, I believe this is true. We want to be a church for broken people who want to follow Jesus. If you're a broken person because you have made bad mistakes and made a mess out of your life, but you want to follow Jesus, we want to be a church home for you. We don't reject people who make bad mistakes. We don't reject people who are in jail or have been to jail. We don't reject people who ended up in the divorce court. We don't reject people who, who find themselves in rehab. We don't. We love those people. I got to tell you this quick story that uh, happened on a phone call this morning that I found out about. Uh, I got a call this morning from Dave Blackman. Dave Blackman is one of the members of our church, and he said to me, "Hey John, have you heard about Dave Blackman who got arrested for drunkenness and disorderly conduct, and either beating someone up or getting beat up? I don't, I can't remember which one it was. If you get beat up, should you be arrested for that?" I don't. I don't know. Anyways, so so I just said no. I missed that one. I, ha- I haven't. I haven't heard about that, Dave. I thought there was a joke coming or something. He said, "Well, it was in the paper, that Dave Blackman was arrested." And he said, "I I wish there was some way I could let our church family know that there are two Dave Blackmans in town." <laughs> and and so, so here's the deal. I I said, "Well, you know, so." What about, what about the people, you know, have you heard from some people at church? And he said, yeah. He said, I've heard people that have called me, and they said, we're worried about you. Are you okay? Do you, you, know, do you need something? You know, can, can I pray for you? He said, one person even said, do you need some bail, Dave? I'll get you some bail money. We'll get you out. And I believe that's because that's the kind of church we are. We don't reject people who make mistakes. We don't do that. But it wasn't this day, Blackman. He has not been in jail. Let's make that crystal clear. Recently, <laughs> very nice, very nice. All right. So, horrible sin. I don't think that's what John's talking about. The second one is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That maybe that's who he's talking about. This leads to death. A sin that leads to death. A person who will not respond to God, who never becomes a believer, will not become a follower. They just reject every time that God gives them the opportunity. They just blaspheme the work of the Holy Spirit. And I doubt that that is what John is talking about either, because he's talking about brothers and sisters here in this text. He's not talking about an unbeliever. The third one is the sin. This is the third way it's interpreted is a sin that led to physical death as a discipline from God. Now, would God ever discipline someone by taking their life away? Yes, actually, he did. In the New Testament, we have a couple of examples of that. Ananias and Sapphira, they went before the church, and they lied about how much they were giving to God. I don't know what's happening with with my uh, microphone. I'm I'm electric, I guess. I don't know what's going on here today. Uh, But Ananias and Sapphira went before the church, and they lied about how much they gave, and they died. They died on the spot. Corinthians, Paul says, some of you are mocking the Lord's Supper. You're mocking the Lord's Supper. And because of that, well, I'll tell you what, since this is happening, uh, why don't we switch over to this, and I just won't move again. Okay? Because that's really distracting. He says some people are mocking the Holy Spirit, uh, mocking the Lord's Supper. And, and he said, because of that, some of you are sick and some have died. So apparently it is true that sometimes God will take away a person's life as, uh, as a consequence and discipline for sin. But I don't think that's what John is talking about because the context here is not about physical life. It's about eternal life and eternal death. And so I don't think that's what he's talking about. Here's the fourth one, and this is what I think he's talking about, okay? Okay? a sister or brother who has totally given in to a sin. The church has confronted them. They've been prayed for. They've been loved. God has been patient with this person. And a day comes when a switch just flips in this person and they say, I'm not changing. That's the way I am. I'm going to stay like this. I'm not struggling with this temptation anymore. I'm embracing this temptation. I'm a liar. I'm greedy, I'm mean, I'm prejudiced, I'm lustful, I'm hateful, I don't care about people, I'm not a servant. Whatever it is, and you just go, that's who I am, and too bad. I'm sick of struggling with it, and that's who I am, and that's who I'm going to be from now on. I think that's a sin that leads to death. Paul talks about a man in 1 Corinthians 5 Who's committing sexual sin in the church there, and he will not repent. Paul doesn't say, Pray for this person. Be sweet to them and kind and syrupy. Hug them. He doesn't say any of that in 1 Corinthians 5. He says, That person has already experienced all of that stuff from you guys and from God. He's experienced all that good stuff, and it's not enough for him. So Paul says, here's what you do. And if you don't believe this, you can look at it in 1 Corinthians 5. Paul says, this is what you do with that guy. Kick him out. Kick him out. And he doesn't say it because, like, we hate that person or we want to be mean to that person, or we're better than that person. He doesn't say it for that reason. He says, this is the reason you do it, to save their soul. Their only hope is that they can go get so much of that sin that they've embraced that they'll hit rock bottom. Don't get a little spoonful. Get a a bucket full. Get a dump truck load full of sin. And just immerse yourself in it so the consequences can wipe your life out. So that may, that, at that point, that's the hope for that person is their life will be wiped out so they will come to their senses and come running back to God and back to their Christian brothers and sisters. That's their only hope. Now, you may or may not agree with me about what the sin that leads to death is. That's Okay. But the important thing is this, is to see that we have confidence. We have confidence to pray to our Heavenly Father because we have the gift of eternal life. He's Dad, and we're the kids. We're connected to Him, and we are heading home. And we're positive of that. Here's the last part. Stay with me. Just a few more minutes. We're almost done. Verse 18, we know anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, even His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God in eternal life. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. For anyone who doubts that they have eternal life, what is usually The main reason. There's probably quite a few different reasons. But I believe that the biggest reason is a little three-letter word called sin. Sin. I'm not sure if I've been good enough. I think I might have sinned too much. I may have done too many bad things and I might not have the gift of eternal life. Now, John has already written about sin in chapter 2, but he repeats it because it's such a big discouragement to us in our lives when we struggle with sins. And I believe the key word in this particular text right here, and one of the key words in the whole book, when you go back and read 1 John, you look for this word. It's the word continue, continue. The word carries the idea of direction, that we're in a direction of sin, continuing in Sin. And I ask you today, what's the direction of your life? What road are you on? What path are you walking? John says those who are born of God, those who are God's children, those are, who are in his son Jesus are not walking on the pathway or the road of sin. That's not the road we walk on. We don't continue down that road. We're on a different path. We're on a road of following. Jesus. Now, will we trip and fall while we're on that path? Yeah, we will. John makes that clear in chapter one. Will we mess up and sin while we are walking right in the footsteps of Jesus right behind him? Yes, we will. John makes that crystal clear. That's why Jesus died for us. That's what he came for, to pay for our sins. That's what his blood is continually forgiving us of, our sins. But we don't change paths, and continue on the path of sin. That's not the road we walk. We walk on the road of following Jesus. And this is all a process, folks. That's why we've titled this whole series In Process. We're not there yet. But we know where our reservation is, don't we? We're positive about that. And and I, I guess I've... I've had this question. Why does, it, does it really matter enough to say it 10 weeks in a row? Does it matter that? Why does it really matter? What does it matter whether we know or not? Does it really matter? I'm going to tell you why it matters. John and Rita Kiker, Carl and Renee Parsons, Leela Mayo, Tom Moore. Couples who right now are struggling in their marriage, deciding whether they're going to stay together or not. Those of you who have sat in the doctor's office and heard bad news. Those of you who your grandkids or your kids have broke your heart. Those of you who have faced incredible financial destruction in your life. And all those names of those people and those other situations I'm talking about, the reason it matters is because those people are facing their life and those situations with incredible faith. And where does that faith come from? Where does that confidence come from? I behaved very well most of my life, and now I have leukemia and... I bet I'm going to be okay. That's not where the confidence comes from. The confidence comes from in Carl's heart and from his words and his testimony and his life is because of who God is. Because he's faithful. Because he has a plan for his life. Because Carl knows that when this body of his shuts down and that heart quits beating and his lungs stop breathing, which will happen someday, and we're praying it will be a long time away, but that's going to happen someday. And when it does, he is positive 100%. He knows where his reservation is. He knows where his ticket is. He did not have a mystery ticket. He's got a ticket of eternal life that was a gift given to him by God purchased by Jesus and his blood. So John has given us, this is what the whole book has been, John has given us ample evidence to show that we have the gift of eternal life. And that evidence is, this is just some of them, every time that you love a brother or sister, that that comes out of you and you see it in your life, every time that you're obedient to God's commands, every time that you have deep fellowship with other Christians, every time you serve somebody, every time you have love, deep love for the truth, every time you stay when you really would like to quit, it's evidence that you have the gift of eternal life. And I hope this, I hope that you are more convinced today than you ever have been in your entire life that you have the gift of eternal life. I hope you have that. I stand before you today and I tell you, I know that I have the gift of eternal life. And that's not because I'm good. That's because Jesus paid the price for me right here. He's given us evidence so you'll know you have eternal life. Now, one more thing. Unless. And I had it carved in... I didn't have it carved in stone. I found a picture of it carved in stone. Because you need to hear this. He wants you to know that you have eternal life unless... Unless you don't see this evidence from this book in your life. Unless you would say, I don't I don't really love people. I love myself. I don't serve others. I'm interested in serving me. I I don't care about the truth. I'm just gonna do what I want. I'm not really interested in fellowship with necessarily Christians. I just want fellowship with people that I like, people that are like me, people that are all Republicans, or people that are all Democrats or people that are all white, or people that are all black, or people that are all rich, or people that are all poor. I just want to be with people like me. I don't care about Christian fellowship. If you say, as we read these things, I didn't really see these things, these evidences, there's not proof in my life, then I want to tell you something, folks. That should do more than concern you. That should terrify you. It should terrify you if you don't see these evidences in your life. Because if they're not there, then you don't know. You don't know that you have the gift of eternal life. You're just holding a mystery fair. You don't have to, though. You don't have to do that. You can ask God today to save you. You can give your heart to Jesus today. You can ask him to live right there to make his residence there, to be your Lord and your Savior. And if you're ready to do that today, we will immerse you into Jesus Christ and celebrate, celebrate the work that he did for us on the cross in your baptism. So if you need to respond today on this cold, wintry day, if your heart needs to be changed into a warm heart where Jesus lives. You come while we stand and while we sing.